told you, I've always wanted to have a theme song. Yeah, thank you, Landon. Y'all... Um, that was good. That was really good. But I'm afraid that if I did have him playing softly like that while I was preaching, I would look out and I would slowly start to see more and more people in the congregation praying, you know, with their heads bowed and their eyes closed. Um, that was the most relaxing service. You know, the Lord spoke to me in a deep way. Um, this morning, we're in Galatians chapter 3. Just also so you know, none of you actually sound like that. That's just my, my general church person impersonation. Um, Galatians chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 18. So how many of you guys were alive in the 90s? All right. So it, maybe you remember this, maybe you don't. In 1996, there was a guy named John Leonard. So Pepsi did, a, Pepsi did this big thing back in the 90s where it was like, drink Pepsi, get stuff. That was their big thing. And, and you, when you twisted off the cap, there was like points underneath the lid. And if you saved up those points, most people, right, would get like a koozie. Or you would get a, a fan. Or you'd get a beach towel if you were really, you know, committed, right? You'd get a beach towel or a hat or a shirt. But they, in their commercials, they had this one thing. It was a Harrier fighter jet, Right? That said Pepsi on it. And of course, it was meant to be a joke. It was meant to be like, haha, this is funny. But then there comes this guy named John Leonard. John Leonard saved up the 7 million points that he needed to get the Harrier fighter jet. And as you can imagine, Pepsi refused <laughs> to give him the Harrier fighter jet. So he sued Pepsi and won like a bajillion dollars or something like that, right? So it was just this, this cool thing where they had this promise. They made a promise that they couldn't fulfill. And the letter of the law won out because they couldn't fulfill the promise. And this guy got like a bajillion dollars. Praise the Lord, he did not get a Harrier fighter jet. <laughs> I looked at that and thought, man, he could have gotten like a whole lifetime supply of cool beach towels. But he went for a fighter jet. Loser. Just kidding. Um, so... I would have gone for the fighter jet, too. But I don't have that much commitment to save up. Seven. I mean, do you realize how much, how much sugar that is? So it's like he got a fighter jet and diabetes, you know? Um, that's, that's awful. All right, so um, don't drink that much Pepsi. Um, so today we're going to be talking about the law versus the promise. And so we see the law, and we hear about the law in the Old Testament, and we see this this fleshed out, clearly defined, clearly fleshed out for us in the, the hundreds of laws that exist in the Old Testament, in the Torah in particular, the first five books of the Bible, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. In those five books, we see this, and, and really, it's mostly in Deuteronomy and Leviticus that we see this really take full shape, where we see just hundreds of, of laws that we're supposed to fulfill and so as we look at this today, we're going to look at uh, God's promise that he makes, back, he makes to Abraham back in, in Genesis 22 and, and the law that he gives in the book of Exodus and how the relationship between the promise and the law. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, let's open up to, Genesis, I mean, to Galatians 3, um, the other G book. And um, we will pick up in verse 10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. 
Because it is written, everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. Now it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law, because the righteous will live by faith, but the law is not based on faith. Instead, the, lo- the one who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The purpose was that the bleeding of Abraham, that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus so that we could receive the promised spirit through faith. Brothers and sisters, I'm using a human illustration. No one sets aside or makes additions to a validated human will. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say and to seeds as though referring to many, but referring to one and to your seed who is Christ. My point is this, the law which came 430 years later does not invalidate a covenant previously established by God and thus cancel the promise. For, it is the inherit, for if the inheritance is based on the law, it is no longer based on the promise. But God has graciously given it to Abraham through the promise. Wow, there is a lot going on there. We're going to see a little, one of the big elements that you're going to see, which came first and why does it matter? The, you know, in, in the old debate that we've all heard many, 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 many times, what came first, the chicken or the egg? You know, for those of you who have read Genesis, we know it was the chicken, right? Because it would have been weird to just create an egg that just sat there and did nothing and would rot. Um, so God created the chicken. Hope that solves a lifetime of confusion any of you may have had. Um, and so in this one, when we're looking what came first, the promise came first. We see this in verse 14. It says, the purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus so that we could receive the promised spirit through faith. So the blessing, that this, this promise that God made to Abraham back in Genesis 22 was that he would bless, that through him would come one who would bless all nations. And we talked about that last week, that Jesus is the fulfillment of that, right? So we have the Jews, and then we have all the Gentiles who had been separated, and we have Jesus who comes to save not only the Jews, but also the Gentiles, to save all the world. So Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise, the promise given back in Genesis 22. So from there we look in verse 17. He says, somebody should get that. My point is this, the law which came 430 years later does not invalidate a covenant previously established by God and thus cancel the promise. God's covenant, God's promise to Abraham was was a, a promise that is ongoing, right? So this covenant cannot be broken, it has to be fulfilled. And if we go back and even look at the covenant that God makes with Abraham, it says God made a deep sleep to fall upon Abraham and, and he, had, he passed through. It's like seeing this torch or this, this furnace pass through the pieces of this animal, which is symbolic. So I got ahead of myself. Abraham cut these animals in half and separated them. And then, and then God caused a deep sleep to fall on him and he saw this furnace go between the animals. And it was a promise between between God and Abraham, that if I don't do what I said I would do, may this happen to me. It was a symbolic gesture, but it was a sign of their covenant, right? 
And so for them, this covenant, God is saying, may I be torn in two, which obviously you can't tear God in two. Um, may I be torn in two if I don't fulfill this covenant, if I don't fulfill my duties in this covenant. So the covenant takes precedence. The covenant takes precedence over the law. It is important. So what Paul's saying here is 430 years, 430 years before the definition of the law, they had the promise. And it was accounted to Abraham as righteousness because he had faith in the promise. Because he had faith. He acted out of faith. He lived his life according to faith based on what God had told him. So think about this. When we're talking about the law, and we hear this a lot, and we're talking about the promise that God gave to Abraham, sometimes we get our timeline mixed up a little bit. So think about this. When God gives that promise to Abraham, can you imagine that for the 400 years that Israelites were enslaved in Egypt, they were clinging to a promise? They weren't clinging to a list of do's and don'ts. They weren't clinging to a list of, of all the reasons why you're not good enough. Let me count the ways. Here's a few hundred that you've, made, that you've mistaken already. It was a, they were clinging to a promise. So here's the thing. When we look at this, the law defines the need for the promise. When we look at verse 10, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, because it is written, Everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. The law defines, literally, the law defines the need for the promise. God gives Abraham this promise that he's going to send one who will be a blessing to all nations and all nations will be blessed through him. Well, why do we need that one to come? Why do we need a Messiah? Why do we need a Redeemer? Why do we need this forgiveness and grace? The reason why we need that is because we can't live up to the law. Hear this again. Everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. Just out of curiosity, how many of you are wearing a poly cotton blend shirt? Anybody? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Sinners! How many of you have had a cheeseburger? Sinners! How many of you have had a bacon cheeseburger? Oh, man! Lord, please don't rain down fire. Oh, no, I'm just playing. Um, like, that's the whole point. When we look at the law, when we look at what the law writes, it says, basically, all the pork products that we eat, we should be destined to hell for eating pork products. We don't meet, we don't meet God's standard. The law defines God's standard. We've all broken the law. And that passage tells us right there, if you don't do Everything, everything written in the law, if you don't meet every standard written in the law, he's going to nuke you till you glow in the daytime. <laughs> I mean, that's it. You're done, right? Stick a fork in us. I mean, we are destined for hell because we don't meet up with all these laws. And none of us does. Not one person does. Here's the cool thing. But in Jesus Christ, we have the fulfillment of the law. We have the one man. So through the one man, Adam, the curse entered the world. Sin entered the world through one man. And through the one man, Jesus Christ, the law, the complete law of God's perfection was fulfilled in that he never broke the law. 
So think about this. Jesus Christ, oh, this is good. Jesus Christ is not just the fulfillment of the promise. He's the fulfillment of the law. But the promise takes precedence over the law. I was, Landon and I were talking this week as, as we were having some of our Bible reading stuff. And, and I said, is it fair to say, and, and, and he agreed with me, it's fair to say that the promise is the canvas by which the law was written on. Now granted, roll with me. I know it was written on stone tablets. But the, the promise of Abraham, the promise that God gave to Abraham in that covenant becomes that which we cling to. If we cling to the law, and this is where the Pharisees got it all wrong. If we cling to the law and that which we think we can do, that which we think we can accomplish on our own, we are destined for failure. Destined for failure. But if we cling to the promise, if we cling to the promise, ultimately we are clinging to Jesus. And he, so here's the difference. When we look at this, it says uh, Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise. So let's look at verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, curse is everyone who is hung on a tree. So when we think about this idea, curse is everyone who is hung on a tree, it was a, it was a common practice back then that when somebody was cursed, when they were outside the law, when they were uh, going to get beaten, when they were going to get stoned, when they were going to, it was very common to, uh, to strap them or tie them to a tree. And just like Jesus, who was, who was hung on a cross for our sins, everyone who is cursed, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So Christ didn't redeem us from the curse of the law by just paying the penalty. I mean, he did that. He accomplished that. But it says that he became cursed for us. He took our curse on himself, for us, on our behalf. Which, we make it seem so transactional. And I think sometimes we miss the relational and the transactional. Follow me on this. When I tell you that Jesus died for your sins, that, that Jesus hung on the cross for your sins, Jesus paid the debt that you and I owe on the cross so that we could have eternal forgiveness. When I tell you that, it seems so transactional, right? Like, you know, well, he just paid off my gambling debt. Or, you know, he, he, you know I gave him a bag and he gave me a bag and, and we just moved on about our separate ways. We make it seem so transactional. But the reality is, is that it's so much more personal. It's so much more personal. Because we don't, as long as we don't name our sin, it doesn't become personal, right? But if we're talking about your pride, if we're talking about your envy, if we're talking about your gossip, if we're talking about the way you spoke to your spouse and the way that you shouldn't have, when we get, when we get specific... Right When we get specific, when we talk about those prejudiced thoughts that you have that you don't tell other people about, when we talk about the lustful intent and thoughts that you have that you don't tell other people about, when we talk about the greed that you struggle with, when we talk about the addictions that you have, when it becomes personal, it's not just, let's take it out of this blanket statement of sin, right? Those are all sins. It's all sin, right? But let's take it out of that blanket statement and make it personal to you. What you struggle with, the sins that you commit. It's not just transactional. If you realize that the things that you do, the things that, the things that bring about the curse, the laws that you break, 
those, those laws in the Old Testament that we don't live up to, that we can never meet that standard of perfection. And none of us can meet that standard of perfection. But when we look at it and we just say, ah, well, nobody can make it, no big deal. Ah, it's just sin, you know? Well, it, it, loses, it loses something. But if I could take you in the midst of your sin, in the midst of you creating or committing that one sin, whatever it is, in the midst of that thought, in the midst of that not bridling your tongue and, and, and slinging somebody with, with, a, with a harsh word or, or you speaking coarsely to your, to your wife or you, you, whatever it is, whatever that gossip or that, that lie or whatever it is, if I could somehow magically catch you in the midst of that and show you clearly what that sin is going to cost you that you've just committed because of what you just did, you're going to lose everything. You're going to lose everything. And you're going to spend eternity in hell because of what you just did. And you did it so flippantly and with, without regard for the holy God in which you just sinned against. If I could help you see that in the moment. And then on the, at the same time, not only, not only show you the, the cost, but then show you the absolute enormity of God's grace that in the midst of that sin, in the midst of our curse... That Jesus would take that curse upon himself. He would pay that penalty himself. He would go to the cross and die the death that we deserve for the sin that we just committed. Like, marinate on that. Because when we just call it sin, it's just transactional. But when it's your sin, when it's my sin, when it's those things that we know we do, when it's those things that we know we've done wrong, when it's those, like right now, you know, in your mind, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know that lie you told. You know that gossip you, you shared. You know how you slandered that person's name. You know that wicked thought. You know, whatever it is, and I don't, I don't mean to harp on it, but what I, what I mean to do is make it very personal. Because if your sin is not personal and real to you, how in the world could God's grace ever be? If you don't own your sin and realize what you've done that's wrong and get beyond just calling it sin and making it personal to you and realizing that Christ paid the ultimate price, he who had never sinned paid the price for all of us who have. It is personal. It is relational. It is not simply transactional. So understand that he was cursed. And I, and I love this word that we see in verse 13. Let's read verse 13. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us because it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The word redeem, exagorazo. That's a fun word. Let's all say exagorazo. Ready? Exagorazo. Phenomenal. You guys are Greek scholars. The word we translate as redeem really means to buy back someone's freedom, to buy a slave's freedom. It's the word picture that's given there in Exegorazo. It means to literally to free somebody from their slavery. So when it says that Christ redeemed us, when it says that Christ redeemed us, we talk about being slaves to sin we talk about being slaves to sin, but do you really do you realize the depth to which you were enslaved? Do you realize the, the penalty to which you were bound? 
And it would not be undone. It cannot be broken. You cannot break those chains. Imagine, imagine if I took a great weight, like a huge boulder, and I wrapped this boulder in chains, and I locked it so there's no breaking this boulder, and I wrapped those chains around you. And you can't break free. You can't budge the boulder. There is no moving. Now that sounds bad enough. But what if I threw that boulder into the ocean and you're being dragged down and you feel the burning in your lungs as the air starts to escape and you feel the pressure as you sink deeper and deeper and deeper and you, you realize that you're going into oblivion and there's absolutely nothing. There is no amount of fighting. There is no amount of pulling or tugging or twisting. There is nothing you can do to remove those chains. Realize that as a slave to sin, as all of us who are slaves to sin and have been, have been embedded, sin is just embedded in who we are. It's embedded in our nature. We sin from the time we're born to the time that we die. For, for us to realize that we have this curse of sin upon us and there's no breaking these chains. There's no, there's no getting out of these chains. We cannot break these chains ourselves and, and we are slowly drifting to oblivion. It's in those moments that we realize that Christ is the only one who not only can he break those chains, but he takes those chains upon himself. He takes those chains upon himself and he goes into oblivion and he defeats, he defeats sin and death. He breaks those chains once and for all for those who put their faith and love. Not in the law. It's not putting your faith in the law. It's putting your faith in the promise. Because Jesus is not only the fulfillment of promise, but he gives us a promise that through him we will have eternal life in him forever. That we have no fear of hell, we have no fear of sin and death, that we have forgiveness and life and grace in bounds, in multitudes, infinitesimal grace poured out on us for all of eternity through his riches and through his kindness, because he redeemed us. Exogorazo, he has redeemed us. He has paid the price for our sins to set us free. We are no longer slaves to sin and shame and guilt and all the baggage and junk that goes with it. We are free. We are children of God, free. Amen indeed. We are redeemed by God for his goodness. You and I were slaves to the sin that is defined by the law. The law defines all of our mistakes. But we were saved by the Savior who, promised, who was promised to us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. It says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. So realize this, in our striving, in our striving to live for God, you only have the ability to live for God through God. Your ability to live for Jesus Christ only comes because of the righteousness purchased for you by Jesus Christ. So as we strive to live for God, it would be silly for us to try to do it apart from God. Verses 17 and 18, let's look at those real quick. My point is this, the law which came 
430 years later, does not invalidate a covenant previously established by God and thus cancel the promise. For if the inheritance is based on the law, it is no longer based on the promise. But God has graciously given it to Abraham through the promise. Here's the whole point. If your faith, if your trust is in Moses and the law, you are dependent upon man. If you are striving, so this is what the Pharisees were doing. If you're striving to live out the law and be good enough, if you're trying to earn your way to heaven, listen, I shared the gospel with some guys at the basketball court this week, which was awesome, loved it, had a great experience. Talking to these guys, I'd love to tell you that they all got saved and it was amazing. That didn't happen either. But they heard, they heard the good news. And so as I'm talking to these guys, one of the things that I heard which drove me nuts, but I didn't show it, controlled my face, which is only by the Holy Spirit. He said, well, man, I'll, I'll probably give church a chance when I get, when I get better. Right? I'm going to get good enough. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, I may have been able to control my face, but I couldn't control what I said. I was like, you're never going to be good enough. You're never going to get there. You know, you're never going to get there. The, the reality is, is that you, you come to God as you are and you let God take you from where you are to where he wants you. You submit and surrender to God how you are, where you are, and you let him work out the details and take care of the rest. If you're trying to be good enough, you will never get there. If you're waiting until you overcome certain sins and then you're going to give your life to Jesus Christ and live for him, you're never going to get there. Submit yourself to Christ now. Surrender your life to Jesus Christ now and let him use you. Let him make you into the tool that he wants to use for his glory. If you try to do it on your own, you are destined for failure. But here's the other side, not just destined for failure, but if you do surrender your life to Jesus Christ, if you do give your heart to him, if you do live for him, you are destined for success because success isn't dependent upon you, it's dependent upon him. I would much rather my success in this life be dependent upon the creator of the universe than my lousy lack of inability, right? Yeah, if you can't say amen, you better say oh me. Um, and so, so when we're looking at, when we're, when we're putting our trust in being good enough, when we're putting our trust in the law and trying to earn our salvation, you are destined for failure. You are destined for failure. But when we put our hope and our trust in the promise that God gave to Abraham, we are literally dependent upon God to do what he said he would do. That makes perfect sense. Put your life, wage your eternity. When I said it to you like this, let me put it to you like this. You've got one shot. You've got one shot at this life. You only get one go around. And in that one go around, who are you going to bank eternity on? You or God? Because the reality is, if you're trying to be good enough, if you're trying to earn your salvation, you're banking on yourself. But if you are putting your faith and your trust in the promise of God, in the promise of God... He's already paid the promise in full through the, son of, through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross, whom he raised from the dead to prove that he's going to do it. So put your faith, your love, and your trust in Jesus Christ and live for him. 
The law does not nullify the promise. It only illustrates our need for the promise. So this morning, this should do a couple different things. It should do a couple different things. One, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this should rev your engine. If this don't get your fire started, your wood's wet. You know what I mean? So the idea is, is that for those of us that, are, that we talk about every week, we talk about taking the gospel and going out into our community and loving people for Jesus and sharing the good news. Share the good news where you are. Kids, share the good news in your classroom. Share the good news with your friends. Share the good news with your neighbors. Adults, take the good news and share it with your coworkers, your family members, your loved ones, your neighbors. Share the good news. Live out the gospel. Be people of the promise. And we show that we are people of the promise, not in how good we are, because we're destined for failure. We show that we believe in the promise when we share that promise with other people. We show that we believe in the promise of God for our future salvation when we share that promise of God's love and grace and mercy with other people. So this morning, the invitation is so simple. And I realize it is also very difficult, as it is every Sunday. If you don't know Jesus Christ, if you've never really put your hope and your trust in him, and you've just tried to be good enough, but you realize that you'll never be good enough, you realize that you can't do it, but God can. If this morning you want to move from putting your trust in yourself and trying to be good enough, and you want to trust God that in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, you will be made good enough. If you want to put your faith in Jesus this morning and get saved, let's talk. Just come up and let's have a conversation. And then maybe this morning, as a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are a, a, a follower of Jesus, if you are a disciple of Christ this morning, maybe you've noticed that tendency in yourself to move away from trusting in God to trusting in your own abilities. Maybe you've tried to be good enough. Maybe you've tried to, you haven't been walking in the power of the Holy Spirit to live out the gospel in your, in your world. This morning is so simple. And, and you can pray where you are. You can come forward and, and pray at the altar in an act of submission just between you and the Lord. Some of you, let me, let me rephrase this a little bit. Some of you in this room are carrying such heavy loads and you're trying to do it all on your own and you feel like a failure. Parents, <laughs> parents, you should be able to amen that one. You're trying your best, but you feel like a failure. You're not doing it in the power of the Holy Spirit. You're trying to do it in your own abilities. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's, it's in your your ministry, maybe it's in wherever you are, but every single one of us, if we're trying to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ, we do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe this morning you came in just weighed down with the weight of life. And you need to, you need to cling to that promise. I would encourage you this morning, if, you, if that's you, may, maybe it is a time for you to come and and just bow your, your heart and your knee in submission to the Lord and, and just give that up to him and just trust in him and cling to that promise. So that's it. This morning, if you don't know Jesus and you need to know him, come and talk to me. 
This morning, if you need to cling to that promise, come and cling to that promise between you and the Lord. Let's pray.